Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. This is Rob Howe, happy to be joined again by Mike Humpel from Humpel Chiropractic in North Liberty, Iowa. This is our backer to cracker uh, tip of the week. And if you don't get that, Mike was a linebacker and now he's a bat cracker. Get it? Ha ha. Thanks for joining us again, Mike. What is your chiropractic tip of the week for our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Rob. I just want to uh, explain a little bit of who might benefit from chiropractic. A lot of times people think, I don't have back pain. I don't need to see a chiropractor. But there, there are many people that can benefit from chiropractic care, which is the number one most widely used alternative medicine in the world. Uh, but first and foremost, those looking for pain relief. So uh, neck pain, back pain, headaches are the most common conditions we see. Uh, people even had personal injury, auto accidents, those types of things. Also see chiropractors um, for assistance. People looking for improved performance. So athletes, uh, students uh, maybe have trouble paying attention at school all day because, you know, they're uncomfortable in their, in their desks or in their chairs. Um, employers looking for employee wellness type programs or wanting to improve their employees' health overall so they can boost their performance uh, for their business or small business. And also, individuals just interested in whole body wellness. It doesn't have to be, uh, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, I need to see a, a chiropractor or a doctor. It can be, hey, I want to improve my overall wellness so that way I don't fall into the pain cycle and start having problems. Um, and then lastly, another Another uh, large demographic we see is the, the aging or elderly population, just to help them consistently perform their daily activities, doing the laundry, going up and down the stairs, getting up and down from the seated position. Um, you know, so it's maintaining that functional movement and that strength so that way they can continue doing the things they like to do throughout their, their lifespan. That sounds like it covers a lot of the population, Mike, and people are interested in, in seeking out more information and possibly connecting with you as, as a patient, we encourage them to visit humplechiro.com. The phone number there is 319-325-3558. And the address is 1295 Jordan Street, Suite 6B in North Liberty, Iowa, 52317. Thanks, Rob. Welcome, and you are listening to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe, answering your questions, the listeners' questions um, from Twitter, Facebook, and our Hawk Fanatic message boards. You can reach us every Wednesday. You can 
actually send them whenever you want and I will read them each Wednesday, usually early in the afternoon. Um, not a ton of questions today. I think we have five or six in the queue that we will get to. I appreciate everybody who weighed in this week with a question and every week for that matter. Let's check out what we have. And if I happen to miss you this week, um, I will usually remember and write down a, a reminder to hit up your questions the following week. I don't think I have any from last week from what I can remember. Um, let's see here. S sit down at love the Hawks on Twitter is first in this week. And he asks, I, and before I get to that question, I, it was, I apologize. I usually send out a reminder on Tuesday nights for questions for this, but I forgot to do that last night. So I only asked this morning on Wednesday, November 11th, when I'm recording this. So probably fewer questions this week due to that, which is my bad, but sit down at love the Hawks on Twitter. Ask, I know there were a lot of points scored last week and people are optimistic about the offense, but I'm still concerned about the inconsistency. What say you Rob Howe? That is certainly what I'm looking at as well. Um, love the Hawks. I, I, it's kind of been a pattern here for several years where Iowa has an offensive explosion and then kind of goes quiet for a week, it's week or two. And I looked back at this. If we go back to 2017, I don't want to go too far back. So let's go back to 2017. Um, Iowa had in the in week two against Iowa State scored 44 in an overtime win, then put up 31 against North Texas. Not a great achievement there, but then came back, lost to Penn State with only 19 points, lost that miserable game in East Lansing to Michigan State, scoring only 10 points, comes back, scores 45 in a homecoming victory against Illinois. The next week scores 10 in a 17 to 10 loss to Northwestern following week 17 in a close win against Minnesota, 17 to 10. Week after that, we had the woodshed game. Iowa scores 55 points on Ohio State in a 55-24 victory. Week after that, goes to Madison, miserable day, loses 38 to 14. Following week, loses 24 to 15 to Purdue. So scored 55 against Ohio State. Then the next two weeks combined in losses to Wisconsin and Purdue scored 29 points. So that was inconsistency. And then I'm going to flip ahead here to the following season, 2018. And we've seen these happen before. Um, 33 in a home uh, in a season opening win against Northern Illinois. Again, not a great Northern Illinois team, not a great achievement, but then scores 13 in the win next week, the following week, excuse me, against Iowa State. Comes back, puts 38 up on Northern Iowa to go to 2-1. Then Wisconsin comes to Iowa City. Iowa scores 17 points in a 28-17 loss. Following two weeks, actually following three weeks, uh, 48 against Minnesota, 42 against Indiana, 23 against Maryland, then comes back um, and loses to Penn State 30-24, to scored a lot of points late in that game, comes back to lose 38-36 to Purdue and West Lafayette, 
and then the following week again puts up 10 points in a in a 14 to 10 loss to Northwestern so again inconsistencies on offense and I'm not comparing this to anything else because I'm not I'm not comparing I'm sure other teams have you know up and down performances in terms of their offenses Uh, last season 38 in an opening week win against Miami Ohio 30 against Rutgers 18 in a sloppy environment um, at Iowa State and Ames, very crazy weather delays and, and what have you there. So kind of give you a pass there. Come back with 48 against Middle Tennessee State in a 4-0 start to the season. Then come back with three points in a loss at Michigan, 12 points in a loss to Penn State. So after scoring 38 30 then the 18 in the weather game, and then 48 scored a combined 15 in losses to Michigan and Penn State. Um, You know, I had 22 in the loss to Wisconsin last year, had 19 in a win against Illinois after beating Minnesota. I think we've seen a pattern here with Brian Ferentz as the offensive coordinator of having uneven up and down performances on offense and we've seen that this year I thought the offense was really good in week one against Purdue saved the penalties and turnovers then in week two very uneven uh, against Northwestern got was fortunate to get a few early receive a few early mistake turnovers by Northwestern to score 17 points and then score three points in the final three quarters plus then this past week against Michigan State just looked everything was clicking on offense just a great performance. This is a bad Minnesota defense. This Minnesota defense gives up 481 yards a game, which is worse, which is the worst or or the most in the big 10. It's the worst defense yardage wise in the big 10, 7.3 yards, I believe on the ground per carry, uh, 36 points per game, which I think is ninth or 10th in the big 10, those 481 yards. It yields, of opponent offense is would rank 115th in FBS football if, if Minnesota had enough games to qualify. So, yeah, just Iowa needs to be good this week offensively because Minnesota's offense is good enough to score points on Iowa's defense. It will score points. Uh, I believe it will score more than the 19 it scored last year on Iowa's defense. So, this is going to be – this is a game where, although Iowa loves to play complementary football, offense, defense, special teams all contributing as they did against Michigan State, Iowa needs to have a very good day offensively, or night in this case, on a Friday night game at 6 p.m. Central Time on FS1 this Friday night, uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, we'll see if that's scary for Iowa. But off, offensively, you'd like to just see Iowa's offense not lay an egg. And it's done that too often, at least a couple times each season. I didn't think it laid an egg against Northwestern. I just thought it just never could get going. It wasn't a complete and total embarrassment. Uh, three interceptions, again, played into that. But Iowa's been over 400 yards in two of the three games offensively. Need to uh, cash in uh, on opportunities and not turn the ball over. So I, like you, love the Hawks. Want to see consistency. 
from Iowa's offense through a full season, and we all know this is not a regular season. Well, it is the regular season, but not a normal season, I should say. So thank you for the question. Love the Hawks. And we move on to Joe Williams at Iowa Fan Williams on Twitter. Iowa football recruiting has been quiet lately, but with a few trans but with a few transfers. Did the Hawkeyes try to bring in a couple more in the 2021 class or save the scholarships for 2022 and walk-ons on the roster? Thank you for the question, Joe. Um, I'll kind of hop around here on this because there are a couple layers to this question. There will definitely be walk-ons who receive scholarships. That, that just happens. But Iowa, as you said, has lost four players in the last few weeks off the roster that were scholarship players. So that kind of will open some um, opportunities up for the walk-ons, as we saw last year, uh, Jack Kerner and Keith Duncan, um, Kyler Schott. After the Nebraska game, they found out that they were going on scholarship for the spring semester. We'll probably hear things similar to that after uh, the final game this year, which will not be Nebraska. It will be whoever Iowa plays after Wisconsin, and then assuming there will be a bowl game, We'll see how that all shakes out. We'll see kind of how this virus decides to uh, run its course here and what the course is like over the remainder of this year. But uh, so, yes, some walk-ons will get some of those scholarships. I could see Iowa, you know, carrying over some scholarships to 2022, but I still think Iowa's in the hunt for prospects here in this 21 class, it does not have a running back yet. And that is an area where I think they're going to. And, you know, Arlen Bruce, the fourth out of Ankeny, originally from Kansas City, is a guy who I think is versatile enough to play some in the back, you know, the offensive backfield. But I think he fits better at the slot. Iowa has had swings and misses uh, in the running back uh, from, from a running back perspective in this uh, cycle, uh, losing, you know, um, running backs to Michigan State and West Virginia. Ricky Parks was one that they really wanted uh, from Tampa. He ended up at Utah. Gabe Urban is a the guy they wanted from Georgia, ended up at Nebraska. Devin Neal from Kansas, stayed home to Kansas. Keep an eye on that one just because it's Kansas and that is not a very settled program. Um, I think Iowa's okay at wide receiver at this point. Um, definitely would like to add a tight end in this group, even though it's done well in that area. Uh, obviously, it's, a, it's a, you know, a very successful position. I was very successful with tight ends, as we all know, but I always missed on some high-level targets at tight end in the 21 cycle. You know, you talk about Thomas Fedoni from Council Bluffs. You talk about a Gunner Helm, uh, Michael Trigg, Jamison Gears, uh, Kane Barong, James Carney. A lot of swings and misses at tight end. Iowa definitely would like to add a tight end in this cycle, though. Uh, pretty good on the offensive line. Pretty good shape there. Defensive line, I'm sure Iowa would like to address that and add as well. Jeff Bowie from um, West Branch is the addition there, along with Jeremiah Pittman out of Arlington Heights, Illinois. So they've got a couple D linemen. Probably like to dip in there a little bit more and 
and and uh, and and it's yeah. I, I apologize, Max Llewellyn. I think of him kind of as a tight end defensive end, but he is a defensive end prospect from Urbandale that will be in uh, in the 21 class. Jaden Harrell, a linebacker. Uh, I think Iowa's kind of changed its approach at linebacker to this point. Um, and Justice Sullivan, actually, even though he's listed as a linebacker, I think he ends up at defensive end. So you kind of – you're mixing and matching on the defensive line and at linebacker now with Iowa going to using – fewer you know using that cash hybrid position I think I was going more into the secondary safety type position and, and looking at that along with linebacker so I, I I think you know the quarterback Joey Labus is is in the fold I think they want a running back I think they want a tight end I think they're okay at receiver offensive line defensive line you never have enough of those guys maybe some guys in the secondary as well um a guy that I did a story on this week um, from Maryville, Indiana, is JoJo Johnson. He is an athlete that Iowa likes in the defensive backfield. Uh, Iowa offered him last week in the 2021 class. He is somebody who is committed or was committed to Cincinnati. He now has Michigan State, Iowa, and Purdue in his top three. Malik Verndon or Verdon, excuse me, Malik Verdon is another athlete that they like in the secondary. He's from Hamilton, Ohio, a uh, bigger kid, 6'4", 202. So a guy that possibly could be, you know, project at that cash position. So there are guys out there that Iowa is still involved with. So they will definitely be adding more to this 2021 class. There's no doubt in my mind that that will happen. I think they're at, what, 16 commitments now. I'd be surprised if they're not at 20 by the end of the cycle. And by the end of the cycle, I mean not only in December, but that February um, commitment period too, the late period this year, because – there's hope and we don't know if we're going to get there, but this dead period that's lasted from the middle of March, that's going to run or at least is scheduled to run through the end of December. If they can open that up sometime January, February, where kids can get out because there are still just a lot of recruits and maybe they can push that late signing date back until some of these kids get a chance to get out and get on campus. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they make some concessions there for some of these prospects in the 2021 class because their recruitment has been like any other I've ever seen, and they really deserve that. So to answer your question, Joe, hopefully I did, I definitely think I can see Iowa adding – excuse me, at least four more in this class, possibly more beyond that. I do think there will be walk-ons that get scholarship offers and they probably would probably will carry some over into 2021 or 2022, excuse me, just in hopes of the recruiting turning back to normal next year, where there are kids that could come in here for spring football and visit and in the summer and camps and all that good stuff. So hopefully we get back, we get the vaccine and get back to some semblancy of uh, semblance of normalcy, I should say, moving forward. Thanks again for the question, Joe. I really appreciate it. Schaefer wellness at simplified rehab on Twitter asked, given how successful Iowa has been, running out of shotgun. Why do you think even last week they only tried it 10 times? Is it just so defenses can't key on it? I think it's, I, I think this is a work in prog progress, Schaefer wellness. I, I, um, 
you know, it's Iowa was so set in its way with the inside outside zone and it's not going to completely abandon that, nor should it. I, I still think that can be effective if you're giving defenses different looks. I love running out of the shotgun, particularly with a group of receivers and tight ends that defenses have to respect. Spread it out, you know, Tyler Goodson's touchdown against Northwestern, you know, four wide, run it right up the gut. He makes a couple guys miss, boom, t- long, you know, a decent, you know, mid-range touchdown. I think that those plays are there, and I think we'll see Iowa use those more. Uh, Charlie Jones was, um, you know, took uh, Amir Smith-Morset's place last week, and Amir will be back in the lineup this week on some jet sweep and reverse actions. I think you need, in this day and age, with how, how quick defenders are, not only on the, the second and third levels, but defensive linemen side to side, sideline to sideline are quicker than they used to be. So you need to mix it up and be less predictable. And I thought Iowa did a wonderful job of that against Michigan State. Um, hopefully that continues. I do like running out of the shotgun formation. And I think, at least from what I've been able to see so far, I think Spencer Petrus is much more comfortable operating out of the shotgun. I think Iowa still will use under center, still should use under center. There are certainly um, instances where that's very effective, short yardage, quarterback sneaks, even just to give some different looks. Hey, line up under center, play action. You know, line up in the shotgun, run the ball. Things like that, things that are off – what's the word I'm looking for? almost off brand when it comes to Iowa. Iowa likes to, you know, run the ball, play at, you know, run the ball out of being under center and run the play action out of that, but it's okay to to run play action out of under center if you're running the ball out of shotgun. Just mix it up. I think that the variety and as many looks, formations you can give a defense and a defense has to prepare for will make your offense that much more effective. And when you're breaking in a new quarterback, that's even more important that you give him an advantage against defenses. I thought Northwestern was just on point, just took every tendency that Iowa and Iowa just fell right into, you know, patterns, you know, patterns that we've seen for years. And it was a horrible formula against the Northwestern uh, defense that's seen it, you know, seen all of those formations and plays and Pat Fitzgerald knows those probably can recite those in his sleep. So, you know, you chalk that up. Hey, we didn't do well that week, but hopefully moving forward, we see some more variations in that regard. So thank you for that question, Schaefer Wellness. And again, time will tell if we see Iowa continue to run out of the shotgun, maybe pick that percentage up even more and just be less predictable, whether that's, you know, changing week to week, changing year to year, try to give teams different looks. Race Car Passenger at Race Car Passenger on Twitter asks, what will it take for men's basketball team to improve on defense? Which freshman makes the biggest impact this year? Take the first one first. Defensively, this, and I think I've talked about this, maybe not on this podcast, but other podcasts certainly have written about it. Iowa does not have 
what you would call a lot of good one-on-one defenders. I think Jack Nunji can be that in, in the post. I think Luke is getting better at that. I think Joe Toussaint is that at the perimeter. I think Joe Frederick is a little bit underrated in that regard, as is Joe Wieskamp. But I think this and Connor McCaffrey, I think they're all solid but not lockdown defenders. I think this team, in order to be good defensively, needs to be what Fran, it's a term Fran loves to use, and, and I think it really works well here, is being connected on that end of the floor, knowing what the guy next to you is doing, kind of like an offensive line that is, you know, has co- continuity and chemistry. You're not leaving openings because you don't know what the guy next to you is doing. Rotations, whether it be in a zone or man-to-man, help side, all of those things, when to double, when to hedge, all of those things are important. And I think with a roster that is a veteran roster, there's going to be a better understanding of that. How much did missed time in the offseason affect that? Hard to know. But, excuse me, if you look at it from a perspective of minutes played, experience, understanding what the opponent is looking to do, being able to absorb digest a scouting report and then implement that in a game what you're trying to do I think all of those things experience is going to be big for this team defensively I don't think it's going to be a lockdown defensive team but it needs to be competent or maybe a notch above competent to be able to reach its goals because the offense is that potent and that explosive so I do think this team will be improved defensively. How much? I, I got to see it. You know, I've got to see it out on the floor that they're connected, that they're helping, that they're understanding what they're trying to do, move in unison, um, you know, and being able to do that consistently. Rebounding is a big part of defense. I thought Iowa did that well at times last year, but had times where it wasn't as effective defensively. Um, and and re- in relation to rebounding and giving opponents extra opportunities, um, I think if you limit the, the amount of opportunities, and this isn't breaking news, but if you limit the amount of opportunities the opponent has, it makes you a better defensive team. If you're more efficient on offense, if you can get out in the break and set up your pressure defense – all of these things are tied on. We tied together. We don't. We talk about complementary football. It's complementary in basketball too. Um, you know, pushing your fast break, being able to press, rebounding to limit. You know, defensive rebounding to limit opportunities of the opposition. Efficient offense that allows you to get back and get set up defensively, even if you're not going to press. So all of those things I think play into it. And and if you're looking to be encouraged or optimistic, you look at the experience on this roster and say to yourself, these guys have been here. They've done that. They know what they're doing. And that's oftentimes at least half or more than half the battle because they're capable enough from an athletic standpoint and certainly on the offensive end of the floor, they are capable of doing it on defense too. And it's going to be that connectivity, that chemistry, that continuity, I think will be the key to Iowa improving on defense. And the freshman to make the biggest impact, I'm still struggling with this one. Uh, Fran said the other day, Monday, uh, November the 9th, when we had our uh, 
quote unquote media day where we talked to so Fran McCaffrey and Lisa Bluter, no players. We get those guys next week, I believe, for uh, player media day via Zoom. And I don't think we're going to have much contact with the team beyond what we had on Monday, which is probably good for everybody. And so we get a handle on this, uh, on this virus and get the numbers down a little bit more. Um, from a, a, from a newcomer perspective, I think it can go a lot of ways here. Uh, I think Euless can contribute. I think Perkins can contribute. I think Josh Agundale and Kirk, and, uh, Kirk, Fran mentioned this on Monday. He was late getting here. He dealt with quarantine and illness and is, as he's kind of been behind right now. I think his minutes could pick up as the season goes along and he gets more acclimated, gets in shape, catches up, so to speak. I'm going to go with Keegan Murray. I think Keegan is a guy that rebounds the ball really well for a wing player. Um, I, I think he's got added the strength in his year out of high school. I think he can help them from a defensive perspective with his length. Um, so I will go, and that's no slight on Chris, because I think Chris is right there with him. I think Keegan's a little bit more of that path. The, he, you know, they're both kind of three, four players. I think Keegan more is more of the four, and Chris is more of the three. I think they're combo players at the forward wing positions. But I am going to go with uh, with Keegan Murray as the freshman that contributes the most this year. I think Iowa needs that help on the interior, and he's a guy that can help in there. Um, and the backcourt is pretty crowded, even though I think Euless and Perkins can help, especially from a defensive standpoint on the perimeter. I think the minutes are going to be harder to come by there. I think there are some minutes open on the interior on that four, that four spot especially, and I think Keegan Murray can slide into there and help out. Appreciate that question, race car passenger. Please check in again with us um, with more questions. Enjoy your contributions. Peyton Buckholtz at Buckholtz71 on Twitter asks, Hello, Rob. Hello, Peyton. What are your thoughts on the fans that constantly complain about journalists posting articles in regards to the lawsuit against you of Iowa? That, I think, is probably common, Peyton, for a fan base. They are fans, short for fanatics. And we all know that Iowa's fan base is very passionate and cares very much about their sports. And they don't want, and, and rightfully so, they don't want negative publicity. Now, to say that this isn't a story, I think is ridiculous. It's certainly a story when eight former players let people know that their initial request to the University of Iowa for a settlement was turned away by the University of Iowa, that they are now going to proceed with a lawsuit that includes, you know, Iowa needing to be transparent, more transparent than it's been, and potentially asking for money, very likely asking for money in that lawsuit. That is without question a story. And you cannot like the story and not read the story and not pay attention to the story, but to ask journalists and media members not to follow and report on the story is ridiculous. But that's kind of where we are as a country now. Fake news, uh, the media sucks, 
you know, don't tread on me, so to speak. <laughs> do not, uh, do not show me in a poor light. If you do, you're a liar. You're making stories up, things like that. It's, it's troubling, but, uh, it's kind of the, the landscape of society right now, but it's a story whether you like it or not, whether if that pisses people off that are listening to this podcast, so be it. Um, it is a story that eight former players are bringing a lawsuit against the university of Iowa, eight former football players. That is also, what are your thoughts on the player's lawyer dropping the settlement? Um, not sure I followed that question, Peyton. They dropped the original settlement request because if I'm following your question correctly, and I apologize if, if I am not, the, the reason they dropped the request for a settlement was because Iowa turned it away. Now they go to a lawsuit, but if you look at the letter that, to the university that, that alerts it that it's being going to be sued, the lawyers uh, and the players, well, the representative for the players, the lawyers essentially, are um, in that letter indicated to the university that they're still ready or and able and willing to go to the negotiation table with them if they would like to. Um, whether the university does that or not, we'll have to see. Uh, my guess is they're not going to settle, at least not for a while. And we'll see um, how things go here because it could get a little dicey if, if uh, you know, the, the letter and the lawsuit, they, they filed a bunch of FOIAs from emails, text messages. They're interested in getting into those individual files that were, um, that we assume looked at the conduct of Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, Chris Doyle, and Seth Wallace. Those were four individual reports that were filed from the Hush Blackwell investigation in addition to the general overarching report. Uh, and those were specific to each of those coaches. The, the lawsuit or the, the letter that, you know, alerts the university that there's going to be a lawsuit or they're, they're following through or going to, you know, sue the university, they're letting the university know that they're going after items like those individual um, investigative reports on, on the coaches. So you get to discovery and what information gets public, regardless of what happens and, and what's decided in the lawsuit, it can get really messy. So to say that I was just not going to settle at all, ever, um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how, what type of uh, access these lawyers get to Iowa's, um, uh, you know, correspondence from emails, text messages, reports, other players that could be um, called to witness, putting the coaches on a witness stand if you go to trial. This could get a little bit messy and a little bit ugly. So, Definitely stay tuned. I don't think it's anything that's imminent. Um, I know in the state of Iowa, they've already pushed court cases back into, you know, February and March of next year that were scheduled for now. So there's going to be a backlog in the state um, for court cases as it is. So I would not expect this to be something that is settled quickly, uh, at least in terms of it being in, you know, 
in the courts or, or being looked at from a legal a settlement could happen whenever. But I just think this is something that we could, that could drag on for a while and we'll have to see where it goes. And that looks like it is it for the questions for this week. Again, I appreciate all of you guys getting in with your questions. I want to look, make sure no other questions have come in here before I sign off. Check the Facebook page. Uh, let's see. Huh? Nope. Don't see anything on the Facebook or on the message board. So Twitter only this week. Again, I apologize for not soliciting questions earlier this week. I maybe start to do that on Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, and then Wednesday morning, just to give you guys a little bit more time to come up with some questions, especially as we get ready for basketball season to start here. So again, I appreciate the, those folks that sent questions in. I hopefully I answered your question questions uh, with some degree of knowledge and that will do it for the Hawk fanatic mailbag podcast for another week. This is November 11th, 2020 a little bit of after one o'clock central time. And we will be back a week from today asking, answering more of your questions. Thanks again for sending those questions in. Thanks again for listening. And we will talk to you soon.